0: So I had a busy week this past week. Our family inherited a puppy. Calvin got a puppy. And my main church's work laptop, the ones I do slideshows and the ones that I like to work on, the one that I like to work on, the same one, it its screen stopped working. And so and then I still managed to start at least two other sermons. And then I settled on Friday night with actually I just, I feel like I just need to read a bunch of Advent scriptures. And then, last night, I felt uneasy about that, <laughs> so I finally wrote a third or fourth sermon. <laughs> oh, there goes the power, too. So, the are still going. yeah, the candles are going. There we go. But this, this emphasizes for me the, the great irony in this season, often commented and preached on. And somewhat of a truth for pastors every Sunday, but, uh, but around Christmas time, it's a season that's supposed to be joyful and reflective and, and centered on Christ, there always seems to be activity and distraction, and for some, turmoil, and for others, busyness, to the point of joy stealing. certainly not peaceful. And as I, I thought about that last night, about what I would say this morning, and about what I was personally longing for, I, I thought about rest. Rest and, and then I thought about Hebrews 4. So I invite you to stand in honor of hearing these two verses of Hebrews 4 with me. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. We also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you, especially in this season, as we think about words like silent night, holy night, or no crying the baby makes, which I don't know if it's true. <laughs> But we do think about how what it's supposed to be a time of peace and, and rest and but we as humans manage to make it so busy and so distracting and we pray that you would speak your truths to us found in these two verses in Hebrews four and, and how it relates to our here and now. We ask that you would get me out of the way, and Holy Spirit say what it is that you desire, and give us open and willing and obedient hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. A be seated. the promise of entering his rest still stands. Do you believe that today? I'm a, a pastor. I've been a pastor for 10 years. And I've just personally been in a mood lately that as I've thought about the changes we've been through as a community together, tragedies we've been through as a church, deaths and, and passings and hard times we've been through, and for me, perhaps for anyone, it, uh, it could be easy to be tired. It could be easy to be discouraged. It could be easy to fill or do a lot of things that perhaps are easy, <laughs> but maybe not right or correct or valid or the right direction. And, and the author of Hebrews has the presumption to state the promise of entering his rest Still stands. Why is this presumptuous? Because if you back up to Hebrews 3 and you put it in context, maybe chapter 3 verse 16 which says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest if, they, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not enter to a, not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is the rest. 2,000 years or so after the time of, the, of Moses that the author of Hebrews states is still standing, still available. And still another 2,000 years from the author of Hebrews I say today the promise still stands. 4,000 years, God is, is prom- this promise of rest is standing. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you in need of rest? I'm telling you this morning that there's a promise of rest granted by our great God standing today available for you. It's a promise that, well, our focus a few Sundays ago, Simeon took hold of. When he beheld Christ in his infancy, we read, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, rest. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him What the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Rest. The promise still stands. I can have rest this morning, and you, if you're tired and weary, can have rest this morning. The author goes on to say, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The promise of rest stands, but also a warning still remains. We must be careful, the author says, the promise of God's rest that had been around for 2,000 years for the time of the book of Hebrews, 4,000 years for us, is contrasted with a warning or an example of disobedience since that time as well, and we must be careful. Many believe the author of Hebrews is either Paul or someone closely related to him, Uh, not necessarily family, but related by influence. And Paul writes another church, the Corinthians, and to them he says about the same subject in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, it says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did i i love the gideons i'm grateful for what they do and you know me i love bibles lots of bibles <laughs> i've always wondered at the wisdom of not including the old testament even in their pocket bibles i understand the the sheer size keeping it both portable and readable is maybe a consideration but as I always say, Jesus can be found on every page. Jesus himself spoke of himself from the law and the prophets, at least twice in Luke. Still further, he told some Jewish opponents in John that instead of, uh, of diligently searching the scriptures, which was the Old Testament for he and his contemporary hearers, to find eternal life, they should know that such scriptures testify about him. John 539. And also, a lot of wisdom in what not to do, (laughs) who not to be. Uh, How Christ works through sinful people and sinful means can be found on every page. What we read about in the Old Testament should help us. You know, as I've preached through 1 Samuel, and I hope to hit 2 Samuel in the new year I remember being surprised and checked personally by the Spirit because I, for for one, identify too close for comfort with King Saul. <laughs> he is an example of how I should not set my heart on evil things as he did. Paul unpacks what he means in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. And we say, idolatry? Well, good thing I don't wrestle with that until... Paul writes, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. See, Sometimes we're idolaters, but we just get the pagan wooden or metallic idol statues out of the way and engage in the behaviors that the ancient uh, peoples engaged in using uh, those said statues as excuses. Today, our excuses are, that's just how I am. I need it. It doesn't bother anyone. It's not harmful to other people. Sometimes our excuse is, mind your own business. (laughs) And we leave it at that. Paul also writes, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Uh, Corinth was a notoriously sexually sinful place. A Las Vegas of its time, possibly a Las Vegas on steroids. I'll just say it, and you know it, our culture especially in the month of June, every year, has a pagan worship festival to sexual immorality on parade. Paul warns about the Old Testament Israelites committing sexual immorality. And then he says, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. Something to think about. I'll just leave that there. Paul continues, verse 9, We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Now, I thought about putting this in here, and I didn't. Now I'm going to without my notes. But uh, I had to look it up. I was like, what do you mean but they were killed by the destroying angel? And all I could find was that there was the, the Jewish belief is that pretty much any death is done by a destroying angel. Now, some do point to the destroying angel in the 10th uh, plague, of the plague of the firstborn, but it's just a Jewish belief that there's an angel who comes down and takes you when you die. These things happen, says Paul, to them as examples, and were written down for warnings, as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. But we shouldn't let these warnings deter us. We shouldn't let these warnings provoke a, a false sense of justice or a false... Morality or a sinful attorney in our hearts rising up and saying, Well, God is a mean God if He did all those mean things. What's all this judgment, doom, and gloom? We shouldn't miss the context over in Hebrews when the author says, Let us be careful. Why? Because there's a promise of rest. A greater thing is to be had if we're careful. A greater comfort, a consolation. So be careful, don't fall into these sins, don't be ensnared by these sins. You know, when the joyous season of Christmas comes about, don't let the the busyness rob you of the prize of the truth it reminds us of. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Hebrews 4-2 begins. The prize is the gospel. The word here for gospel is also translated as, anybody know, good news. What does is, what is Luke say? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Same word as Hebrews 4.2, gospel. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. We have had the gospel preached to us. We have it preached to us every Christmas. Matthew 1.21, he will save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. Or what Mary heard in Luke 1, 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The word became flesh incarnation. The baby. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This baby who grows up, and what does he say in Matthew 11, referring to rest? Come to me, all of you who are... Weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe as you consider this passage and, you're, and you said, ah, finally you worked Christmas into this message, I was wondering where you were going. But you might also have this lingering question. What did verse 2 say? For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Did they have the gospel preached to them? This gospel? This gospel about a saved, promised child from an evil abortion edict, a, a prophet who survived Pharaoh's abortion edict and a prophet who survived King Herod's abortion edict? A gospel in the form of a prince of noble birth like Moses and the kingly family becoming a shepherd? the fore-deliverer, and Jesus, the king, who becomes a servant. A gospel wherein a prophet delivers his enslaved people out from under the grasp of an evil empire, like Jesus saves his enslaved people out from the bondage of sin. The point is, is the Israelites did hear the gospel. And so the message of Christmas is a promised rest delivered by prophet and savior, Christ and king, who says, Come to me and I will give you this rest. 4-2, Hebrews two. 4-2, For we have also had this gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. That's the thing. No value. That's the warning. The disobedience. The brazenness of newly set free Israelites, freed from the clutches of Egypt, moaning, we've been let out here to die, and we have no food. They didn't have McDonald's back then. They were just freed from the mightiest empire on earth, without one finger of combat on their part, without one ounce of energy really required, except for the final departure and and, and exodus to pick up their things and go. The way's been paved. They may now go and live free. But Kevin, they have no food. Then they think they're going to die. And if they can't connect the dots that the God who saved them will also supply all their needs, then I don't think anyone can help them. Who can help them? Will they starve? Will they really starve if God saved them? Those who heard did not combine it with faith. Faith, I've said before, echoing a quote, I now forgot the source, but I love it. Faith is trust all grown up. It's trust with big boy pants on. It's trust in God when things look bad or are hard or, oh no, you worked up a sweat today, you need to have a little maturity, an extra pair of socks and some big boy pants to tough it out. We don't have any food. Well, So then, then you prefer the overseer with his whip smacking you every day of your life because at least you'll have your daily ration of rice. And the gospel is of no value to you or me if we don't mix what we hear with faith. With faith. In the context of this chapter, the author says, perhaps well-known among Christians, Hebrews four twelve and 13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the point there. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And as we trek to the towards the promised land, hopefully leaving Egypt behind, we understand those symbols, God help me not to be arrogant or snarky. Have you led me here, Lord, to die? When things get tough, when things get, as I described them at the beginning of this message, that a season that's supposed to be joyful and reflective and centered on Christ, and there always seems to be activity or or distraction or busyness, and for some turmoil, it becomes joy-stealing and certainly not peaceful. Help me to know that the promise of entering His rest still stands. It still stands. But it requires my faith, and it requires my My trust in him with the big boy pants on. As I've said, we've been busy. When I grew up in my family, it was Thanksgiving Day. Then we were one of those weird, sinful, pagan, Black Friday shopper families. And then on on Saturday, it was decorate the house day for Christmas. But as pastors and as I've grown up, Christy and I have just found ourselves more often than not busy, and we don't seem to decorate till mid-December. And last night, the boys and I, we just couldn't stand it. We had to put something up. (laughs) So I put up some (laughs) nutcrackers while Christy was at Bell Choir practice. We opened a tote of kids' Christmas books, and they were happy to read that for bedtime. They couldn't even put it down when it was bedtime. And I'm beginning to see, perhaps more so this year than they have in years previous, probably because the kids are a bit older, um, and they remember what Christmas is, I see the anticipation, the excitement, the excitement that many kids feel from about Thanksgiving to Christmas, the the wonder, the longing for family gatherings, or even the desire for Christmas music and Christmas stories. Basically, the wanting to immerse oneself in all things Christmas. And call me too American, but I think that's okay, with the caveat of what Paul says, Combine the immersion with faith. You know, I find it interesting that in the nativity story of Luke, at least twice we we read this interesting statement about Mary. Luke says it twice. I should say he says it once in the nativity story. But the first time, literally as she's likely holding baby Jesus in her arms at that stable, and then those shepherds who saw the angels came close, they want to see him, they want to touch Jesus and I don't know, it doesn't say they want to touch him, but they want to know that he is indeed who the angels told them about. And they depart, no doubt telling Mary what had happened. Here's why we're here. Then Mary, I wonder if she was recalling her own angelic encounter or she was maybe thinking about her visit with Elizabeth only a few months prior hearing about John. I wonder if she said to Joseph, "Can you tell me that dream you had again?" In other words, she was immersing herself in the story of Christmas. And Luke then says in Luke 2.19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Here's the truth. Unlike what many Christmas movies teach, there is no mysterious, good-natured, so-called Christmas magic to blame where miracles or coincidences, too coincidental to be a fluke of nature happens, take place on or around Christmas. But there is power and there is hope and there is redemption and there is love and there is peace and goodwill on earth in the true source of Christmas, Christ himself. Who he is and what he's done and what he continues to do to this day. I guess my hope and my desire that this Christmas and what what, what I see as the need for Christmas is belief and rest. Belief in Christ is who He says He is. He has provided all the hope, redemption, grace, and satisfaction a soul will ever need. And He is our place of constant rest. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So friends, the promise of entering His rest still stands. Do you need that rest today? Maybe rest this year has it been a hard year? You know, 2023 for me seems to continue the trajectory it seemed our world started since 2020. And some of you have said, "I'm my trajectory started a lot earlier than 2020. Whatever the case, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Don't take the easy way out. Not like the Israelites. Complain, bicker, question, Instead, take the easy way in. Rest is easy. You don't need to do a lot of things to surrender. There's no effort involved. Yielding is actually ceasing hostility. And the promise of his rest still stands. Amen? Let's pray. Father, when uh, many things are going on, and for many people, the the season of the holidays is a hard one to endure, especially with the loss of loved ones, or and for some whatever reason, we human beings like to fill up our schedule and then stress and complain about why it's so busy. And then there are other things outside of our control, maybe broken relationships, maybe tragedies that still tug at our heart as we think about loved ones going a wrong direction. Help us not to forget that the promise of rest still stands. You are willing and able to receive any and all who come to you. You say, come to me who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Help us to learn from those before us, those stories we have in our scriptures about people who didn't enter the rest because they were unwilling to obey you and follow you. Help us to remember that your yoke is not burdensome. It's easy. Father, we love you and we thank you. We, we also pray for our time together downstairs uh, for our party. Bless the food. Bless our time together. Bless those who have prepared the food. Uh, again, be with those who can't be with us to enjoy this time as well. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.